quick thank you to our sponsors for making this podcast possible. They keep this show free to listen to. This episode is sponsored by Byheart. Byheart features a patent protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their formula includes the most abundant protein, alpha-lac, found in breast milk, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. Byheart is an easy-to-digest formula, which includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like an early breast milk, making it great for a newborn's digestive system. Byheart is the only U.S.-made infant formula made with certified clean ingredients, including organic, grass-fed, whole milk, not skim. What it doesn't have is soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast. Use code PEACE for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. When our kids are born, we have expectations as to how our family will interact. What we certainly aren't ready for are the struggles we encounter with the people we love the most. We are here for the parent who feels like they've tried it all, for the parent who feels like they have to yell to be heard, for the parent who is tired of timeouts and kids fighting all day. We are here for you. We believe when parents feel supported and heard, they are able to come to parenting more centered. We offer tools to navigate the messiness of life with kids. We are Peace in Parenting. We're back for a special episode of the Peace and Parenting podcast. I'm here with Michelle and our guest, Wendy. Hi. Hi, Gemma. How are you? Wendy, do you want to tell us who you are? So my name is Wendy DeMorris, and I work at Santa Monica College. I've worked in education field over 20 plus years as a teacher, as a counselor, as a trainer for teachers. I'm in it. (laughs) He's in it. And Wendy is a strong, lovely African-American woman who has helped students of color try to navigate the college world. And she's been my role model in the way that she speaks about race and the way that she has helped kids understand it, both kids of color and both, and kids that are white, really understand what race and privilege and um, living in this world and our society looks like as a kid. So we are going to lean on her. Yes. We've had a lot of conversations, um, you know, in our Facebook group, and there's been a lot of conversations nationally about race and what's going on with George Floyd's death and all that led up to George Floyd's death. And our kids are highly impacted around what's happening. I, I know, especially firsthand for me, my girls are very affected by this huge uproar in society and by the blatant racism and the police brutality and just trying to help them navigate that is what we're trying to focus on today is helping you as parents figure out how do you talk to your kids about race? How do you talk to your kids about privilege? How do you talk to your kids about brutality? How do you talk to your kids about the police? So um, I know I I can come at the perspective of a white parent, but we really wanted Wendy to come with her perspective as what does it look like and how does it sound and what is that conversation when you're talking to kids of color? So I think one of the things that people really need to realize is that these conversations with kids of color start very early in their lives because kids of color are treated differently. 
So there's always the talk, we call it. Yeah. And I know Black Blackish has kind of done the episode on the talk when you have the talk. And it's not the sex talk, but the talk about what it means when you go out into society as a Black person and you know you're going to encounter some type of prejudice that may or may not lead to your actual physical harm. So for most parents, they're talking to their kids about if you go into a store, make sure that you don't put your hands in your pocket because you don't want somebody in the store thinking that you stole something and that you're walking around the store. If you encounter um, some the police at some point, always be respectful. Talk to them. If you're in the car driving, put your hands where they can see them. And I think, you know, those conversations just always happen at such an early age that students and children just know that. And you have to kind of prepare your kid to go out into the world. So I think with all that's happening now, the kids know because they've seen it either happen with family members or friends. So this is just like fuel on the fire. I think the key thing in this instance was just the fact that it was broadcast, you know, at a time where everyone is in their homes and able to actually see this. There's good and bad to that. Obviously, it's bad because a man lost his life and everybody gets to see that. And there's something about, too, that visualization or desensitizing of people when you just continuously see Black men getting killed on film and nothing ever happens. But the good thing I think about it is the fact that you as parents have the opportunity to control the narrative. At this point, with everybody in quarantine, all schools are closed down, you actually have the opportunity of what you're showing your, your kids and how you're going to have these conversations around that because they don't, they're not going to school to hear other kids and get other people's views on it. No. So you have to be very thoughtful about what you're saying and very focused and deliberate. But that's the great thing because you have that opportunity without outside noise. Yeah. And the other thing is, is too, if you don't have a conversation, black or white or otherwise, then you're leaving your child's, you know, you're leaving them in to interpret what's going on in our social media world and our news world. And you don't know how they're going to interpret it. If, if you don't have the conversation, and I think this is especially for um, parents who have are white, is that if you don't say anything about the police brutality, it might be thought by your child that it's okay that police brutality is okay because you're not telling them otherwise. You're not saying, listen, this isn't okay. This can't continue. We're going to have a conversation about it. And then to continue that conversation into, you know, the idea of racism and what is that and what is color? And, and I think it's, we can get lulled into this idea, especially as white people to say, well, I don't see color and I'm, I'm colorblind and I treat everybody the same. And I don't, you know, I'm not prejudiced, but that's just a way of saying like, almost saying like racism doesn't exist. You know, it's almost saying like, okay, if I just say I'm colorblind, then we don't have to talk about it. And in, instead saying like, no, there is color and I'm, I'm part of this system and my color, my white color gives me privilege, even though I don't necessarily deserve it. And even though I don't necessarily think I have it, I do because I, like Wendy said, I don't have to tell my children all of the things that the black moms have to tell their, their children. I don't have to say, you know, be careful at night, don't put your hood on, look people in the eye, smile, do all these things to make yourself seem less, less threatening. I don't have to have those conversations with my kids. And so to pretend as if you don't see color and nobody else does is just not reality. 
So we have to have the conversations with our kids, especially as parents of white kids to say, you have privilege and you have to use your privilege to do good in this world. Because if you don't, then what will happen? So for me, Wendy, maybe you can help me with this. My kids are little, they're three and five. So when they, they overheard my husband and I talking about it and they were like, what are you guys talking about? You know, and we're like, this is a big moment. Like we have to actually say something. And so we told them the story of what happened. And for them, they were more bothered by the fact that the police was violent and not, you know, like the police weren't helping someone. They didn't say anything about the color of the skin and we didn't really either, you know? And then I was like, I feel like I'm missing a big part of this, but I don't know how to say it without perpetuating something you know what I mean like I didn't have the right words to explain it all to them and so I ordered some books but I was just kind of like nervous because I want it to end here but I'm not sure how to do that I think a key thing is that you know especially when they're young like three years old I think people think that that kids don't see color but they do and they they recognize it and it because it start it's just ingrained in american culture if everything they see looks like them and then they see somebody that doesn't look like them they're going to notice that or as michelle knows like the texture of your hair is different for their friends or they're just going to notice the difference i think you have to establish that people are different and that that's a great thing but the sad thing is some people don't like those differences, unfortunately. And, and, and then they're, they're, they know about it because they know about it anyway, you know? <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, the studies show like when they give black girls dolls of all colors, she'll pick the white doll because she's already been indoctrinated to see that the white doll is the better doll. You know, um, so they know at two, three years old, they've already seen this in our society. So I think for white parents to just understand and say, like, we have people that are different because it really is a stretch for you to make sure that you're inclusive in showing your kids different images of different people. And I know Michelle did when she was raising her kids, but all color dolls for her kids. It's make sure that you're, when you're buying books, you're buying books that show everyone. Because then it starts to normalize that they're different people and it's not in a negative way of normalizing them. Because if the only thing kids see, which is mostly through TV, is African-Americans being violent, being in prison, um, doing negative things, and they just automatically, they can't help but grow up to think that. Yeah. And I think the, the, the real challenge is to, you know, you're telling them this and they can understand, obviously, the issue around policing. But then you're saying, but also the police have treated, you know, African-American people bad like this for centuries in this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be very small, but it's the fact that you're saying it. And then as they get older, you'll give them more and more information, you know, because obviously they can't take in the whole systematic (laughs) white supremacist system that's, you know, goes on in America. But it's just giving them those little things and just letting them know, like, yeah, what the police did was wrong. Yeah. Like Wendy said, we can't tell them everything right now. But if you start infusing these other things in their everyday life, the books and the dolls and the games and the discussions around race and, oh, look, that little black boy over there. And don't shy away from saying that. He is a little black boy over there. 
look, oh, look, he's playing with his friends. Like just being aware and saying it because I think so many people like shy away from even talking like that, that they make it seem like it's bad because they're not pointing it out. So kids will start to think, oh, that is taboo because my parents aren't saying it. They're not coming out and talking about race and talking about how people are different. And then it becomes this like, you know, big question. I also think too that white people need to see that they are a race as well. And I know that lately, a lot of people have been getting upset when people say white people, you know, like that's some, like it, it bothers them to say like white people this and they don't see themselves as a race and they don't see race for them. Like they don't wake up every day and think something in your life could change because I'm white. Mm-hmm. Whereas black people wake up every day and think what's going to change today? How am I going to be treated today? And for me with the intersection of being black and a woman how am i going to be treated as a black woman you know today when i walk into a store if it's late at night and i'm walking to my car like when i'm sitting at the table at work you know who might microaggress against me so i think like that's constantly in my mind how am i going to handle that and that's in the mind of young black children how are they going to maneuver through their everyday lives when they go to school if they're not getting called on in the classroom you know, if they are just treated different by the teachers that are in their class or their friends of different colors, this is something that they have to really tackle. And I don't think that white kids think about that. No. And I think that they need to be made aware that there is an inherent difference in the way children of color live their actual lived lives. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is that as white parents, we have to say, you have privilege and I know you don't feel like you do or you can't put your finger on it, but you have so much privilege in this world. You do not have to worry about much because you've been given, you've been given this life that exists for you. And what are you going, and then I say to my older daughter, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with your privilege? Who are you going to help and how are you going to help? And just all the probing questions, I think, with the white kids. Like, you have to keep probing them. You have to keep saying, like, why do you think this happened? What do you think were the circumstances around it? How do you think Trayvon Martin felt? You know, what was going on for them? Why did they target him? Why was it not a white boy? You know, and just really say to them, like, we have this thing that we've been given and it's not fair and you have to recognize it. I mean, I I think we kind of touched on the images. I'm really big about images. I feel like in our society that people are treated the way they are by the images that are shown about them in this society. And I want to encourage all white parents to really seek out and show their young children uh, positive images of African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to be ongoing and to really look at the history, you know, it's easy to just dismiss and only talk about Martin Luther King, look at Obama and not talk about the hundreds of thousands of people that have really done great things to push this country of America forward. Mm-hmm. And I think I would encourage people because the school system doesn't do it, unfortunately, is that they need to be showing, you know, what people of color have done in this country so that they're really knowledgeable on it. And then that that shows a different way of how you think about people and can respect people when you see like, oh, they've actually done this stuff. You know, it's not something like 
they're getting special treatment because this or that, but these have been contributing people to this country, to society on a continuous basis and have never been acknowledged for it. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is, this is institutionalized racism. It's a white, I mean, it's a white man's world, right? And then we're continuing to let that happen. Well, it's just the fact that literally if you go to Washington, D.C., you have the Native American Museum. Now you have the African American History Museum. Like, why do we have separate museums? Because it should just all be American history. But the fact that it's never been that way, that we've had to have something special for each group to show their you know, the great things they've done is problematic. Why do we have Black History Month? Why isn't Black History American history? Exactly. Every month is Black History Month and White History Month and our own history month. Yeah. Well, back to the kids. I think too, for me, it's, and I think like Gemma said, the scaffolding around introducing your young kids to race is something that like Pia, Pia just, we're, we're going to go to a little tiny protest um, right here in our neighborhood. And she's like, I'm, I don't want to go. I'm scared. And I said, you should really go. You need to go. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to. And, and I said, well, you know, men have lost their lives and we have to speak our truth. And she's just cannot get there. She's just like, she doesn't want to admit to herself that the police have killed someone. And she doesn't want to admit that that's the reality we live in. She almost wants to ignore it. And I get that, but I'm not going to let her ignore it. But at the same time, like, I have to push her just enough to get her to, you know what I'm saying? We have to be really gentle and careful with our kids because we want to make sure we're not giving them too much, but enough to digest that they're going to be able to move forward and understand. And so I'd say just give them enough to understand. Don't give them too much. You don't want to scare them and you don't want to, you know, have them be too worried because it's a worrisome place when you go out to think that the police aren't protecting you and they're not protecting people of color and that there's a corrupt system. That's a lot for a little kid to digest. It is a lot. I think my kids are too young because Dan and I tried to go into it and then we like brought up segregation and Caleb does this. He rubs his neck when he gets like really nervous and we were like, okay, we got to like chill because he's not ready. It's hard to know where to go, when to do it, like how to address it because we live in a city where it's mostly white. Like they're not exposed to very much color. And I don't really know how to do that. Well, you do it with literature and you do it with, you know, um, imagery and you do it with the way you speak and you start talking about it. But I think you're right. If you get too above their level, it's too much for them. Unfortunately, though, what I really was thinking just now is like, but kids of color have to talk about it from the get go because they don't, they're not safe. So it's interesting. There's so much more pressure on a child of color. There's so much more stress. There's so much more angst. There's so much more everything that they have to deal with on a daily basis that makes life so much harder. And that's just one of them. Like your kids can't take it. But if they were two black boys, I bet you'd be having the conversation anyway. Mm -hmm. You're right. What about stereotypes? I think that's another thing too, is to like really be careful about making sure you're debunking any sort of stereotypes when it comes to other other races, like really saying and really calling it out. If you hear it or if it's said in, your, in the presence of your kids, you have an obligation to say, you know what? No, that's not okay. 
You have an obligation to call out racist remarks. You have an obligation to stand up for people, to be allies, and to debunk stereotypes in front of your children. Because if you're quiet and complicit and compliant, then you're part of the problem. And if you say something, your kids are going to see you saying something, and then you're setting that example and you're leading by being a good model. You have an obligation in the society to say something. And that's why I've told them, like, we're going to go protest because we have an obligation in the society to say something. And even if it's small and even if it's not a huge endeavor, we, we are obligated to stand up for what's right. And I was going to say, you know, I know that's an uncomfortable thing for people to do, but one thing we've been practicing at work is what we call calling in with people. So we, it's a, it's a language that you use with people. So you hear somebody say something that's offensive. So you'll have to decide in that instance, like, is that a good time to bring something up or not? Because sometimes it's not if it's in the middle of a meeting, but you could say, you know, that's an interesting point that you bring up. Do you, would you mind talking about that later? And so you're not like really like putting the person on notice right, right then, but you're just saying like, that's an interesting point that you make. Could you explain that a little bit more detail? And then you're kind of doing it in a probing way where you're going to use your knowledge that you already know about what they're saying that's not true. And then just kind of question them in a way so that you can hopefully have an aha moment with them where they see like, oh, what I'm saying isn't right. Um, I saw a post today for somebody that posted something. I said, oh, you know, if you're open to it, you should read this book. And it was Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow book, you know, about the prison system. And I said, I'm always here to have a conversation with you. So it's not like, oh, what you're saying is so wrong and you should know better. But just like, oh, you know, if you want to learn more, I have a different perspective on that. You know, we should maybe talk and maybe we can come to a, you know, a different agreement on the things that you think are true and find a different way to see a different reality about it. So I do think like you need to work on those things, but also do your own research so that you can speak to these things and know it when it happens so that you're able to say, okay, you know what? This doesn't sound right. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with doing it. It's hard at first because it just feels uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable situation, you know, but the more you do it and then you'll start to realize people are open to it. There'll be some that won't change their minds and they won't be open to it but you really do have to do that but it also shows your kids a way to advocate for themselves and be able to speak to people in a way that questions people but not in a threatening way wendy's right but i i need to take a page out of wendy's book and i just can't keep i can't be quiet too many of us are quiet. I'm quiet because I'm terrified. I'm just like, I don't want to get attacked if I, because I'm ignorant in a lot of ways. I just really don't know. Nobody well, I just, I'm always like, just come at me, bring it. <laughs> is that wrong, Wendy? No, and I think neither approach is wrong, but I think with Jimmo, like it's interesting when you're saying you don't, you don't know, you don't want to be wrong. I want you to allow yourself the grace to be wrong and that it's okay if you do say something wrong. And that you can say, you know what, I'm just learning and I have to continue to grow and learn. I think um, someone who's learning that lesson right now, what's his name, Drew Brees, the football player. I don't really follow football. So he said what he said and then he had the, the backlash. And I think um, there's going to be a lot of learning for, for him going forward, you know? And it's okay because nobody's perfect and everybody has to start somewhere. And to me, the ultimate goal is to get people to change their heart about around racism and 
if you have some missteps along the way, that's fine. But we just want you to get there <laughs> in the end, you know, and that it's okay to be wrong and say I'm wrong. And what can I do to be better? How can I make this better? But I think the, the key thing is really doing the work. And that's where people tend to fall off is because they don't want to do the work. They want to quick video. They want this, but it takes years of unlearning, years of understanding the whole system. Yeah. And, it, and it really is to make this country better. We are literally at a point now in this country where race is literally bringing us to our knees. And if we had got this right from the beginning, from the beginning one, but even in the sixties, even 20 years ago, yeah, we wouldn't be here today. The bigger the bigger issue is if we don't do something, imagine where we'll be. It's not going to get better until we really do something. So, so this is the moment of reckoning. Either you're going to do something now or it's going to be even worse. I think it's true though. We got a it's a it's a defined line of how you present it to both you the people that you know and and your children. How do you scaffold it enough for everybody? You got to scaffold it for your children, right? You got to give them enough so that they can understand it. And you have to scaffold it for your friends and your family and your acquaintances and people that you encounter that don't get it either. Like you have to scaffold for them because like me, I come down everyone's throat and nobody wants to listen. I only have the people who are on my side listening now. The other ones I've alienated because they don't want to hear me anymore. <laughs> so for kids, especially young kids, books with images of all colors of people, and then just as much exposure as possible and advocating. And toys that look different, you know, there's the superheroes and the Barbies and the American Girl dolls and the regular dolls and the all kinds of things that are, you know, not just white. Mm -hmm. And having them around people that are different races. Mm -hmm. and different cultures and different languages and different understandings and different food and all of it is so important for them because we live in a melting pot and it's all encompassing it isn't just you know hamburgers and hot dogs yeah thank you so much wendy that was so helpful for me and probably will be for a lot of people yeah i hope so i mean i just want this i want america to make good on its promise and then be a great country for everyone and allow everyone to live the actual American dream or whatever their dream is of what they want it to be. Just live a peaceful life where they're not persecuted. That's yeah. it, really. We'll do some links to, to some literature and um, maybe even some toys. I know I can find some if we want and put those on there. And um, if you want to reach out to us, please do. You can find us all over social media and please like and subscribe. And we hope you enjoyed this lovely episode with our lovely Wendy. Thank you so much, Wendy. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week.